Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right. Uh, Ryan Burroughs, uh, who uh, reports uh, ABC News correspondent and reports for us on a regular basis, uh, live in Minneapolis. And uh, yesterday, Ryan, was a day of mourning. A very emotional day. You want to share with us what happened? Yeah, the memorial for James, or I, I'm sorry, the memorial for George Floyd was held uh, at uh, a church in, in downtown Minneapolis. There were numerous celebrities that were there, including Tiffany Haddish, Kevin Hart, Ludacris, uh, politicians, including Senator Amy Klobuchar, Governor Tim Walz, and of course, uh, family members of George Floyd, uh, his brothers, nephew, cousin, all talking about his love for LeBron James and grilled cheese. And uh, even his youngest brother, Rodney, said he would have been amazed by all of the support the family has received over the last 10 days or so, uh, maybe going on to closer to two weeks now. Now, as that was going on, and, and we'll get back to that in just a second, but I want to point out that as that was going on, about a mile away, those three officers who were charged with aiding and abetting second-degree murder appeared in court for the first time. So you've got these two scenarios playing out uh, in real time together. Um, they were uh, our bail was set at $750,000 uh, with various conditions uh, for each of them. The judge saying that uh, there was no precedent for uh, what uh, they were charged with. So uh, that's what he went with as far as uh, as far as setting bail. Now, um, the attorneys for two of the men who have been charged, two of these officers, uh, say that they had only been on the job for a very short time. One of them had only been on four full days. The other one had only been on three full shifts and said that they were basically taking orders from Derek Chauvin. And one of those officers, even during the video, you can see twice, say, shouldn't we turn him on his side? And the attorney for one of those officers said, what's he supposed to do? Shove Officer Chauvin off of George Floyd? Now, I think today we look at this and say, absolutely, he should have shoved him off. And, and we'd probably be in a lot better spot right now, at least as far as uh, the country. Um, but uh, you know, that being said, it looks like that's going to be their defense moving forward. And, and the, the, the memorial uh, with uh, Benjamin Crump, the family attorney, talked about the uh, civil rights movement and, and how this is just one of many uh, cases that we've seen. Uh, Reverend Al Sharpton probably got the most play, giving the eulogy, um, very dramatic comments, including saying, you changed the world, George. Uh, telling uh, police officers to get off the neck of African-Americans and really minorities across the country um, because uh, they've been doing this for so long. Yeah, the uh, what I found interesting, uh, and I, I'd uh, like you to uh, comment on this, is uh, that the eulogy, that those service, memorial services, went from poignant, uh, very uh, emotional about George Floyd to outrage about the way African-Americans were treated and Benjamin Crump, I saw some uh, evidence or I saw some video of him going through the names of the most well-known victims of police uh, uh, in excessive force uh, throughout the the last dozen years across the country. Uh, How did the audience, because I didn't see this, how did the audience react to that? Uh, Were they also really emotionally caught up and, you know, the way uh, at... 
when you have political rallies, if you were, where uh, the members of the audience are really getting into it and yelling back, did you see any of that? Yeah, there, there was quite a bit of that. There was a lot of energy. Reverend Al Sharpton obviously brings a lot of energy. That's his thing. And, and he was able to, to get that. And yeah, I mean, let's face it. Reverend Al Sharpton probably did not know George Floyd before this. In fact, he said so. He did not know George Floyd before this incident. Um, but he was reached out to and he's watched everything play out. And so his message was crafted in a way of let's not let this happen again. And you, you mentioned Benjamin Crump. Um, I, I've heard him say very similar statements over the last week, but boy, oh boy, he's able to rattle off like 20 names that have happened in, in the last few years. And, it, you know, when you put them all together like that, it's it's unbelievable how, you know, we keep seeing these kind of situations occur, whether it be Sandra Bland, whether it be Eric Gardner, whether it be Laquan McDonald. I mean, the, the list just goes on and on and on. Yeah, and he, he had, had, and he had them all memorized. Boy. But, man, that was he powerful did, stuff. And, and, they, they weren't even alphabetical. I was checking. I'm like, I wonder if he's reading off some alphabetical list. No, he just he just went through them all. And I mean, it, it went for a long time. The other thing that went for a long time that was very powerful in this message. I mean, Reverend Sharpton, obviously, um, you know, he, he he did mix some politics in there, you know, referencing Donald Trump at various times. But the very extremely powerful moment at the end, he made everyone stand up and they stood in silence for eight minutes and 46 seconds. And it was awkward. It was difficult. It was powerful. Um, But I think that's exactly what he was trying to get to to let you understand how long Chauvin was on the neck of George Floyd. And, um, you know, after one minute, it's like, okay, really, this keeps going. And and it kept going and going. And that is a long time. Yeah, when you uh, stand there. Yeah. Just stand there doing nothing for eight and a half minutes uh, without a TV blaring uh, in the background and see how long that is. It is, for especially those of us in the media, that's dead air for eight and a half minutes. Uh, yeah. And that is, uh, yeah, I, I can see the power of that. You see it the way people, uh, the way the speakers were. And then I thought um, uh, Al Sharpton uh, made an analogy, which uh, was, I, I went, oh, my God, that's so powerful. Is he equated uh, the knee on the neck of uh, George Floyd to the knee on the neck of African-Americans in this country in the yeah. big picture? It was, uh, i got to tell you, it was uh, very powerful stuff. All right, uh, Ryan, any other uh, memorials going on right now? And what's happening in Minneapolis uh, at this time? Uh- Big deal today is that the Minneapolis City Council is moving forward with votes on um, uh, reforms that need to take place immediately. There are two council members that want to disband the entire police department. So that that fight's going to play out at the local level. There will be a couple demonstrations expected to be peaceful today, and, and we'll see if the governor continues to move forward with a curfew or if last night was the last night. Yeah, I'm wondering really quickly, because there are calls from what appear to be legitimate people in the community and politicians calling for the total disbandment of the police department. Do they have an answer when you say, so what happens if a burglar is in the house, do you call 911? I, I think that you shift over for the time being to county officials, but I mean, I don't think the staffing there is, is near. I don't think Hennepin County is prepared for that. No, I, I don't think there's a, a clear answer uh, for for that. It, it'll it'll be interesting to see how this shakes. I don't necessarily know that both that's two voices on an entire city council, but we'll see. Oh no, there were uh, many people uh, across the country. Too many that were uh, 
you know, parroting that line. All right, uh, Ryan, we'll talk again. Thank you for uh, covering this for us. All right, uh, Minneapolis, uh, the entire country is looking, the entire world is looking at Minneapolis and saying, what the hell's going on with this police force? I mean, turns out that this city of enormous liberalism is one of the most liberal cities in the country, has had a history of police misconduct. And according to the uh, present CEO of the Urban League of that area, over many, many decades, and it won't be fixed overnight. So there is the police chief, uh, Medaria Aredondo, uh, became the chief in 2017. And it seemed like he was the guy. I mean, there he couldn't do better than Aredondo, uh, the first African-American police chief. And uh, he spoke of restoring trust in his swearing-in ceremony that became a community celebrations uh, celebration. But here is the question. It doesn't, does it really matter what police chief uh, is going to be hired? Any police chief, can he or she fix the department now facing a civil rights investigation by the state? Uh, he's a fifth genera- uh, generation Minnesotan, uh, joined the cops in uh, 1989. The police department was a patrol officer, worked his way up. He uh, with uh, four other black officers successfully sued the department for discrimination in promotions, pay, discipline. And when you talk about uh, irony, his predecessor of chief, uh, as chief promoted him to assistant chief in 2017. Uh, the predecessor, Johnny Harto, was forced out of office over the fatal shooting of, in this case, it was an Australian native who called 911 to report a, a possible sexual assault behind her house. The black officer who shot her was convicted of third-degree murder and is in prison, 12-and-a-half-year prison term. So um, the police spokesman in defending Arando and the police department said there were some changes. All officers, new and tenured, have to go through training that stresses respectful interaction with the public. And keep in, uh, keep in mind, this is what happened very unusually. Arredondo almost immediately fired the four officers at the scene of George Floyd's death. Remember, it happened instantaneously, which never happens. Um, so it uh, shows that if you look at city data, and here uh, is just another piece of evidence showing the way African-Americans are treated in general. We're going to go more into that later on, some stats for you. City data dating to 2015, up to 2015. So there has been some substantial uh, uh, substantial differences since then. Uh, show that when police officers use force in Minneapolis, 60% of the time it's when they're dealing with an African-American, even though the population of the African-American is uh, 20%. So I guess that's three times as many if I get my uh, if I get my stats right if I get my math right. All right. Uh, when times of stress, and when we're looking at America uh, in trouble, and I'm going to compare uh, what's happening with George Floyd, what happened in 9/11, uh, as one of the incidents, and uh, the uh, in terms of impact, uh, the assassination of JFK, which. Interestingly enough, uh, as horrible as that is, I don't think it had the impact 
that George Floyd, the death of George Floyd did. Uh, this could very well be a turning point, a sea change in America. And we're going to talk more about that over the next few days because this one is very different than the other African-American deaths. And it could be that just the the breaking point has been reached. I'll tell you what we're not getting a lot of leadership from, the president. Uh, he's reacting the same way uh, in a previous uh, African-Americans' fatal encounter with the police. He did say it was a terrible thing that he saw as to this incident. But nothing in terms of policy, nothing in terms of recognizing that there is a real issue going on the way African-Americans are treated by the police. And then we go further and talking about the way African-Americans are treated and looked at by, well, the rest of us. And uh, I have uh, gone to a different place when it comes to the police. Now, you know, I'm pro cop completely. And I have always thought that for the most part, police uh, are fair. I don't think that you have a police officer waking up in the morning, turning to his wife and going, hey, honey, let's have breakfast. And I'm going to uh, get my baton. I got to smash some black kid's head in just because, yeah, I want to do that. Uh, you know, I don't think that happens. But is there an insidious kind of uh, almost uh, ingrained, well, it actually is ingrained, uh, discrimination uh, and a different viewpoint uh, looking at uh, African-Americans. And I'm looking at myself a lot and saying, okay, you know, let's talk about you to myself. And one of the things is, for example, uh, when African-Americans were seen, males were seen with white females. And it was jarring to me because it was so unusual. Not necessarily something is wrong, although maybe somewhere inside me, and I just don't want to admit it, okay, something is wrong. But just jarring, saying, uh, what's going on here? This is not normal. Normal is white people with white people and African-Americans with African-Americans and Latinos with Latinos. uh, Because we look at other people differently than we do. But as I said yesterday, Uh, African-Americans are on a whole different level the way the rest of America looks at them. The assimilation has not happened in a way that other groups have assimilated in this country. Uh, Even those that were treated horribly, uh, Germans have assimilated, the Irish who were treated so badly, uh, the East Europeans who came at the turn of uh, the last century, uh, they've uh, they, they've uh, become part of mainstream America. African-Americans have not. I mean, look at the civil rights era prior to that. Uh, look at the extraordinary news that was given to uh, the uh, newly elected black president, uh, Barack Obama. And, you know, this is interesting. I was talking about that, at least interesting to me, is that Uh, Many African-Americans thought that with the first black president elected, things were going to change dramatically. And then it was discovered or realized that Barack Obama may have been the first black president. He was not the first black president. What do I mean? Because he viewed the world not through the lens of inherent insidious racism, He was the president, I think, was the president of all of us and didn't particularly pay attention to the black plight in America. 
he looked America as a whole. And uh, and I don't know whether it's because had he uh, concentrated on black issues, he would have been accused of being uh, pro-black uh, as opposed to being uh, pro the rest of us. I don't know the answer to that. But even to the point where an African-American president was elected, uh, the African-Americans didn't go very far as a result of that. And so does this change? Oh, yes, this changes. And uh, one of the problems uh, is uh, the president and the policy and the leadership we are getting and the looking at police and looking at these incidences really through just one set of lenses. And that happened to me. By the way, I've been moving in that direction. I truly have. When I'm starting to recognize uh, more and more, there really is a deep-seated problem. Not that we didn't recognize it before, not that I'm looking at history, but I'm, but I'm owning this in a way I never have before. And I think a lot of us have gone there. Uh, where I used to think of uh, the demonstrations, and I would concentrate on the looters. I would concentrate on the violent seekers. Uh, look at the problems, look at the problems. Granted, uh, the demonstrations are fine. They have something to talk about. But let's look at the problems of these things. Well, that's switch for me. The looting has become rather unimportant in the big picture. Now, granted, I don't own a store. I'm not a small businessman that has lost everything. Uh, but I am a member of the community. And I want to share with you, when we talk about a sea change that is going on, uh, I'm right in the middle of that. So uh, when we talk about what's going on and how important it is for leadership, uh, and, and this, you know, I, I have a hard time not criticizing the president. Uh, my program director on a couple of occasions has said, oh, you know what? You're spending a long time, a lot of time criticizing the president. You're known as anti-Trump. Yeah, in many ways I am uh, because I look at our president, in addition to all the crazy wacko things he says, as just this utter lack of leadership during times of astounding stress. And... Um, when uh, George Floyd die, died, uh, was killed, the president reacted like he always does. Uh, he did say, I'm disturbed by the terrible thing, and then offered nothing in terms of policy, other than him saying, right now, the nation needs law and order. You have a bad group of people out there. Uh, offered no proposals for changing how the police use force, train new officers, interact with the community. Has said there was nothing wrong whatsoever would not admit that the police are doing anything wrong. And in a call to the governors, called them a bunch of wusses, uh, saying you have to dominate the streets. And uh, he then threatened to deploy the U.S. military. And, I mean, what do you do with that? When uh, everything wrong is uh, what's going on with African-Americans. Are they inciting the police uh, to treat them the way they do? Uh, is, let's ignore the statistics. Now, at first glance, uh, and it's a lot more complicated than the police just going after African-Americans. At least I think so. Uh, oh, boy, let's, uh, there's an African-American kid. Let's bash his skull in and not that white kid over there. No, it's a question of how we look at African-Americans. It's a question of historically how we dealt with them. 
And they are by far the most discriminated race we have, uh, minority we have in this country, and have been since the beginning of this country. I mean, anti-black sentiment, well, actually, not even anti, because when you own a slave, uh, you don't have to be anti-black. Okay, just I own a slave kind of thing. I mean, truly, just property. And not just property legally. uh, Thinking of them as property. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. In the big picture is part of life. In other words, growing up. Uh, my best friend, Saville, uh, grew up in South Africa. And uh, from his bedroom, he could see Robben Island, where Nelson Mandela was housed. And he, from the time he grew up till the time he left South Africa at the age of 19, Nelson Mandela was a terrorist. It's just that simple. There was no other explanation. He was told that Nelson Mandela was a terrorist. That was the official governmental position. And he accepted it. And then you leave, he left South Africa and said, wait a minute, that, that's not the case. And the same thing we have dealt with uh, African-Americans. Hey, it's just, that's who they are. I mean, we're, I'm comfortable with them. Uh, there's no question about uh, you know, the fact that I own them. It's simply part of life. Yesterday, I talked about there was no conflict. How can an American, how can an American one of the founding fathers or even through uh, the late 1700s, 1800s, reconcile uh, the way African-Americans were treated, slavery with the uh, concept of this country, all men are created equal because they weren't men. That's what, that's their property. So uh, the equation would be all men and property are created equal. You see how ludicrous that concept is? So therefore there was no conflict. It's easy. I mean, your family members are not a piece of furniture. They were then. That's exactly what African-American slaves were, a piece of furniture that happened to be able to work and you had to support. And uh, that was George, by the way, George Washington. You know why he was against slavery and he wrote against slavery uh, various times during uh, his career, during his life? He just thought they were too expensive. Honest to God, he thought they were just too expensive to maintain the house. You had to take care of the kids uh, when they got old and couldn't work anymore. Uh, they still were on uh, the Washington Dole. I mean, we have a history in this country, and it's not a good one. All right. Uh, now, we keep on talking about uh, the 
the issue of uh, racism in this country. And uh, for, I think, the first time, and I, a few days ago, didn't actually think this, and uh, I've since come around, uh, that this death of an African-American man uh, who was unarmed uh, is a different, is a whole different animal. It has moved into a whole different field. And uh, so uh, we're now looking realistically at all of this. And uh, one of the things, uh, one of the facts that we're being told, nothing very surprising at first until you put it all together. And uh, we know that uh, African-Americans die prematurely and disproportionately. Uh, Heart disease, stroke, uh, COVID, police violence, even, even this virus. Uh, is affecting African Americans uh, far more than it does whites, and uh, the um, well, in terms of looking at racism, and this is Dr. Uh, George Benjamin, who's executive director of the American Public Health Association. Okay, we're now talking public health. Uh, at the end of the day, he said, racism is the original sin here in America. It attacks people's physical and mental health. It is toxic in a medical sense, which I have never heard before. And uh, again, as you see these protests, uh, people of color will, coming out of this, bear the disproportionate rate of uh, renewed infections. That doesn't stop. There is a gentleman who is a health researcher at the University of Pennsylvania Part of the team uh, looking at the mental health of Americans and very interesting stat that came out. In the three months following the deaths of unarmed black men killed by the police, there was a measurable drop in mental health among black Americans. The more deaths, the greater the effect. Medical health among African Americans didn't suffer when the police killed a black person with a weapon. That the uh, African-Americans took the same way as everybody uh, else did. You know, if a guy has a weapon, the cops are going to kill him. Okay, we're fine. But it's the unarmed black man. In medical language, it is a toxin. Racism in and of itself, just like polluted air, just like chronic stress, just like malnutrition, it is corrosive. And I never thought of it that way. I mean, we know that African-Americans live in poorer housing, less access to healthy foods, uh, more exposed to pollutants and violent crime, uh, more likely to suffer from obesity and asthma and diabetes and heart disease, high blood pressure. Uh, But it's even worse than that because a lot of African-Americans don't even go to the doctor. Uh, because uh, they distrust uh, the fact that they're treated differently than uh, white folks. And the stats are there. The stats are there. California, New York, blacks are actually overrepresentative among uh, deaths of COVID by a factor of two to one. In Michigan, three times greater than their share of the population. I mean, think of that for a moment. Where we look at, and this I have never looked at before and never under, really, no, I've never even looked at it. And uh, now I'm getting 
just a whole new view. One of the things about uh, the death of George Floyd and many African-Americans are, and many activists and civil libertarians, et cetera, are looking at this and saying, this may do it. This may actually do it. And one of the, this may do it, is looking at racism as a medical, uh, a public medical health issue. Just racism. Yep, the world's definitely a different place. 2020 is really going to come down as a very interesting year for historians. COVID and the George Floyd and the killing of uh, black unarmed uh, Americans. Okay, add those two together. And incidentally, we're into we're not even in the end of the first half either. We'll see what happens. All right. Uh, One of uh, uh, the side stories uh, is as you look at uh, the protests and in some cases the rioting part of the protests, not huge, but still there. I mean, we can't ignore, even though the story is far greater of the peaceful protests than it is of the looting and the violence and the torching of buildings and police cars, et cetera, uh, there is uh, still uh, the story of the police and how the police and authorities are dealing with the protesters, in some cases very professionally, uh, in other cases, and we have videos, hopefully this is aberrational, I think it is aberrational actually, uh, where protesters are getting bashed, and there's video of the police, uh, and I just saw one of them this morning, of a group of protesters, and all you see, uh, sudden you see the police rushing uh, the protesters and using their batons, and you go, what the hell's going on with this? Now, if you look at uh, the National Guard, very easy to spot National Guard. If you look at the police, very easy to spot. Police, why? Because they have police plaster all over them. National Guards have military uh, uniforms. But you'll also see some uh, what appear to be police officers who, in fact, aren't marked. In other words, you know, when you see uh, the FBI uh, instituting a raid, FBI across the back of the jackets and letters about 12 inches high. So there's no issue as to the identity of law enforcement. There is an issue here. Occasionally, if you look carefully, you're going to see officers who, wait a minute, who are these people? They're not well marked, which means that it's pretty dangerous. If someone comes up to you with a baton and you don't know that's a cop, uh, guess what? You're allowed to defend yourself, even with lethal force. Because a baton is considered a deadly weapon. And who are these people? Are they legitimate law enforcement? They are. Bureau of Prisons have come out. One of the things uh, what the authorities have done is thrown everything they can at the protesters because of the numbers. So you have the National Guard. You certainly have the riot police. Uh, you, in the case of the White House, you have uh, the federal police and the military out there uh, guarding the president. They just put up uh, another fence around the White House. But there is an incidence where you go, wait a minute. What's happening, and here's the argument, is the federal government is putting out law enforcement personnel. We're talking about the Federal Bureau of Prisons. And that's a direct contradiction of the oversight uh, they've been providing for. Police should be 
uh, local, and they are local. When the National Guard comes out, it is at the behest of the governors. Now, the president can nationalize the National Guard and take it away from the gover- uh, from the governors, but that hasn't been happening because that's a very last resort. For example, using the Insurrection Act of 1807, which uh, brings out the U.S. military to deal with protesters. And you go, wait a minute. Uh, The president's out of his mind to say that. Even Mike Esper, Secretary of Defense, said this doesn't work. Uh, The Insurrection Act should never be used. And you had, what, four or five major generals, retired uh, major generals, including, um, uh, including Mathis, former Secretary of Defense, saying this is all crazy. So this is just one added, uh, just one added level is effectively unmarked federal police that are out there. So when history is written, I think one of the chapters, certainly one of the paragraphs will be, okay, federal police, for the most part, unmarked, or the Bureau of Prisons, and uh, they're part of riot control. Hey, why don't... I dress up in a black outfit and go out there and do what I do and have a good time. See, there, this has to be done properly. One of the things about riot control, the police have to be trained. That's the other thing. How many people are trained in the Federal Bureau of Prisons? How about nobody in riot control? All right. Now, uh, I want to talk a bit about the uh, demonstrations and how uh, the demonstrators and looters and everybody involved dealt with the police. I don't know if you've noticed that they've just gotten better at it. And all the way, well, the looting was very professionally done. These are, these looters uh, were strategic. They knew what they were doing. It wasn't just uh, a group of people just breaking into a store and grabbing everything. Uh, Although there were examples of that. So first of all, the demonstrators took lessons There is a protest 101, and it's college level. And how do you sign up for it? You go to the internet, of course. And where are the classes coming from? They're coming from Hong Kong. Because the Hong Kongese, the Hong Kong, Hong Kong Innes, Hong Kong Anesians, I think they're called Hong Kongians, but you figure it out. And they have become experts at protesting. You've got the democracy movement in Hong Kong. They're up against the government of China. And you can't have a tougher opponent than the government of China. And they've just gotten really good at it. And if you look at this and take a lesson Let's see what's going on. So you have a tear gas canister that is shot and lands in the middle of a group. And if you look at Hong Kong, what do they do? Well, someone immediately covers it up with a traffic cone to contain the smoke. And then a group of people near it douse it with water from a bottle And they're dousing it through the upside-down funnel of a traffic cone. Very clever, very effective way 
to deal with a canister of tear gas. And you've seen the way other people react to it. They'll pick it up and they'll throw it back to the police. Well, this just shuts it down. It's a lesson learned from Hong Kong. And it's just one of many examples uh, of what's going on. And it's all about these tactics, tactics refined and popularized. So demonstrators on the front lines, if you go to Seattle and see the demonstrations, many of them were using umbrellas, which in Hong Kong were used as shields against the Hong Kong police tear gas and pepper spray. And that actually, the umbrellas actually became a symbol of uh, the Hong Kong protest movement, the democracy movement that came out of Hong Kong. And there is a uh, a PhD student by the name of Jeffrey uh, Go, uh, who is in Washington D.C. and he's a chief strategist for the pro democracy uh, party. It's called Domosisto, and it's documented many of the ways that tactics from his homeland uh, are now being adopted in the U.S. Now, obviously, he supports the protest movement, and he said one video from uh, his group Domosisto uh, from last October. Uh, there's a middle-aged uh, Hong Kong Hong Konger using a leaf blower to redirect smoke from a tear gas canister. And that went viral with the outbreak of the unrest uh, last week. Now, I didn't see that being used. I didn't see these tactic, tactics being used in mass. But, oh, are they going to be used from now on? And they're starting to sort of uh, infiltrate, percolate through the movement. Uh, almost 10 million views, and the U.S. Prep protesters are learning this tactic online. Uh, there's a website called HKers, uh, and uh, it stands for, or it says, HKers stand with black lives and offers tips and tricks how to spot an undercover cop, how to get medical supplies to bring to a riot, Uh, the best encrypted messaging apps for eluding authorities. Uh, Also, here's one from the Hong Kongers to people who get anywhere near tear gas. Get an aspirator gas mask. And I saw a few of those. And it's a question of uh, people just getting them and storing them. And also things like uh, welding gloves. If you're dealing with these canisters and you're picking them up or after the fact, if you don't have a a cone near you, a traffic cone, also plenty of bags of water uh, to deal with this. And the other thing is some of these Hong Kong demonstrators were bringing high-powered laser pointers uh, to distract, to confuse the police. Now, that one is dangerous because uh, if police anticipate the possibility that these protesters could be armed with guns equipped with laser scopes. Hey, guess what happens? They shoot back. And is that defensible? I think so. Now, the reason it works in Hong Kong, you know what they don't have in Hong Kong? They don't have guns in Hong Kong. You will never see a demonstration in Hong Kong ever where guns are used by the population. I mean, try to get a gun uh, in China or in Hong Kong. You're in jail for the rest of your life. And so uh, the other thing that's very different is looting. Uh, They don't loot in Hong Kong. 
And so there are other ways of doing it. There's a video uh, in Brooklyn, and you have uh, protesters attempting to redirect the energy of the crowd away from a target. So you even have people within the crowds who are doing a, a terrific job of protesting and actually helping the store owners, protecting them to show that they're here just to protest peaceably. You have people that don't do anything except just march while the looters are behind them. And then, of course, you have that small contingent of looters. And as a matter of fact, uh, there are uh, videos and uh, Internet messages uh, that are coming in from Hong Kong commending those who were there to prevent the looting. Very good. Do the right thing, they wrote. So there's your lesson. Now, the police are also viewing these videos and We'll see what happens as a result of the next several demonstrations, which, of course, are going to happen. KFI AM 640 live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.